morning. Good morning, church family. While we're getting ready here, a couple of housekeeping items. Thank you for that. Uh, first of all, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, where is Pastor Dandy? Is he in here? He's in the back. Uh, is the baskets of goodies here for fathers to pick up as they exit this morning? They're on the the table there. So kids, are all the kids listen to me, children? So even if you're walking out, make sure your daddy gets a gift from the church today out of the basket out there. You can pick it out for him and give it to him, okay? Can all you kids do that for me today? All you big kids and little kids both? And if your kid's too little to get you a gift, Justin, get a, get a gift for yourself, okay? Mostly talking to you, but anyway. So, does that sound fair? All right. Uh, now, I want to I share something with you I think personally is kind of funny about Father's Day. Did you know Father's Day ranks 20 among the most favorite holidays in North America? Like, I was reading this and I was like, I can't even think of 19 other holidays like to put in front of Father's Day. Like, Arbor Day ranks higher than Father's Day. And I was like, how did Arbor Day get higher than Father's Day? But whatever. Top two are Christmas and Mother's Day. So it's Jesus and moms, and then fathers are down at 20. Halloween scored higher than Father's Day. It's a joke of a holiday. Most dads think that, right? But here's the reality of it. Can I say a couple things? I know the culture beats up on you dads. Uh, I'm not going to beat up on you today. Let me just say, I see many of you in our church, you're doing a good job. You're loving your family the way Christ would have you love. Keep it up. Remember, um, we got to set our eyes on Christ first and foremost and seek to please Him, guys. And if we do that, we can sleep very well at night we got to keep doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, and God will bless that. Uh, above all that, though, I want to say this, too. This is a very special Father's Day for Jeff Bell because Jeff is now not just a father. His lovely daughter sitting right here from Canada today, but he also had two new additions to his household in the past. Is it a week and a half, Jeff? Is that right? Two weeks now? Yeah, two weeks. I didn't get to see the babies before I went to L.A., but they're, they're back, and, and isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? God has answered prayers. Thank the Lord. Happy Father's Day, Jeff, for you especially. All right. That's good and all that. Also, I remind you, we're taking deacon nominations for four weeks. Please, if you're a member of the church, submit yours into the offering box or into the church secretary's door uh, before you go today or the next time you're here if you need time to pray about it. Those forms are, I think, somewhere in the back there. If you need one, see me or Danny afterwards. We'll get you one. Now, Housekeeping things are out of the way. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, beginning today. I'm going to move down from 19 uh, to about uh, probably 24 is where I'm going to pick up right around there. So if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, sorry, 27 is where we're going to pick up. For the first time in a long time, we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And it has been such a joy. We've spent almost two years uh, in the Gospel of Luke. By the time it's over, it'll be about two years. But I'm going to tell you, I usually change my sermon series around when the seasons change, but I can't think of a better way to spend two years than with Jesus. Can you? Uh, it, has, it has been a blessing for me, and I hope it's been a blessing for you as well. Uh, when we left off last time, this is part two of last week's sermon, so I'm going to give you the quick recap, right? Don't hit fast forward like you do on Disney Plus or whatever your you know, favorite uh, shows to watch are. Uh, Jesus was in chapter 20. He is being debated by the religious leaders of his day. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, you remember what I taught you to know the difference, remember? 
the Pharisees are conservative, holy. They believe in the resurrection, so they are fair, you see. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, so they are sad, you see. Right? So that's one of the differences between that. Uh, there's also the scribes that are there. They're almost like lawyers slash civil judges for the courts. And then what they call the first citizens who are profiting off the current religious system. Uh, we're going to see in the text today in particular, I'm going to pick up where I left off. I kind of quit midway through his discussion with the Sadducees. Now, before we jump into this, I will tell you that we don't know a lot about the Sadducees. We know more about the Pharisees than we do the Sadducees. Um, most of what we know about the Sadducees comes from Jesus in the Bibles, the Gospels, and also they're the people who were their opponents. So when your opponents write against you, they don't tend to be as favorable, right? It just tends to be. But I'll try to give them as fair of a shake as I can in the text today. Uh, so with that in mind, let's now turn our attentions to the Word of God. They came to him, verse 27, they came to him, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring of her brother. And there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second, and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those are considered worthy to 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 attain uh, worthy to attain the age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry or are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more, because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are risen, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush. When he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him, to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in hearing, uh, that's it, sorry, I was going to keep going. I'm going to leave that next section for Danny next week while I'm at the boundary waters. By the way, If you need me next week, good luck, because I'm going to be so far out of cell phone range, I'm not even sure Becky or anybody can reach me, so you're going to have to find somebody else, unfortunately. But this ends a reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. I hope, I pray he writes this truth on our hearts, because the grass withers, the flowers fade, say it with me if you know it, but the word of our God endures forever. All right. So, I had a thought this week as I was flying around and, you know, a hustle and bustle of having days that started at 6.25 a.m. and ended at 9 or 10 o'clock p.m. 
and that's Pacific time, so that's like 12 or 1 Eastern time, so, you know, just for the time difference gap there. And you can ask Becky. Uh, I usually tap out around 11. I'm not much after 11 in my bed. I'm pretty much, I'm done. At 11, I'm done. I get up at 6-something every morning, but 11 o'clock, I'm passed out. But one thing I was thinking about as I was preparing for this was uh, the issue of the resurrection. And I was just sort of interested to see, you know, are there pastors, or Baptists even, who would say the resurrection of Christ did not happen? And so I googled pastors denying resurrection, pastors that deny the resurrection, and I got a slew of response. I couldn't even read them all. And, uh, you know, as I was reading that, I thought many things, uh, but one thing I thought about was this passage that I'm preaching this week. Now, let me be very clear on what I believe and what our church family believes. It's the same thing. We believe Jesus died on the cross physically, that his pulse stopped, that he stopped breathing, that he was physically laid in a tomb for three days, and then on the third day, he physically got up and came out of the grave, all right? Not a spiritual resurrection, a physical resurrection, all right? I think in the scriptures, the plain things are the main things. That's what Pastor Alistair Begg always says. The physical resurrection of Christ is very, very plain. To deny it is to deny the teaching of the New Testament. All right? So it was just fascinating for me to see that. And then I began to think about all of the mess that we have in our churches, and I think a lot of it centers on trying to somehow divorce doctrine from the Bible. And I want to say this this morning. What we're seeing in this passage today is Jesus' attitude towards both the Bible and doctrine. Let me share with you a quick story to see if I can illustrate what I mean. To say this another way, theology matters. Theology matters. Had an individual come in, and he was a part of a local organization. If I mentioned it, you'd probably know it. At the time, they were not well known, because I don't know if you can believe this or not, but I've actually been pastor here at this church for 10 years in October. Okay, I'm, I've like outlasted everybody who started with me when I was <laughs> a pastor here. But anyhow, uh, so they came in my office unannounced, uninvited, no appointment, and by the way, that's for church members, I don't have a problem with that. If you're an attender or a member, I'm happy to have my schedule disrupted for you because I love you. It's like a family thing, you know. But for, for people that are wanting things from me, like wanting money or wanting something else, usually it's money, um, it's not as welcomed. Do you see what I'm saying? So this individual comes in. He sits down in my office. I didn't know him from Adam. And he says, Pastor, just wanted to know when we could come in and take over your Sunday morning service. And I leaned back in my chair and I said, probably never, for starters, probably never. Uh, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you believe. I don't know what your theology is. I don't know what your doctrine is. So probably never. <laughs> you know. And uh, he said, well, now, Pastor, we don't get into theology or we don't get into doctrine. I said, well, you better. I said, if you get up in that pulpit and you say anything, you've gotten into theology. Uh, theology is important and theology matters. Uh, needless to say, they never took the pulpit here. I, I take this position very seriously. Whatever happens here, whatever comes out to you as truth, I will have to give an account to Christ for. And so I take that very seriously. 
You know, I take that very seriously. I still sometimes, after 20 years of ministry and preaching, get nervous. I'm not nervous to stand up in front of you and talk. I think many of you know me well enough to know that my grandmother always said, I reminded her of Dr. Phil, I'll just talk all the time. It's not getting up in front of you and talking, but that every word I use in front of you will be recounted before me, and I'll have to give an account before Christ for it. That's what makes me nervous, is making sure I'm after what the author says and being accountable for that. So I take that serious for me and for those that stand in my place when I'm not available. All right, so back to the issue at hand here. Um, If we were trying to figure out the Sadducees here who are asking Jesus the question, what is it that their position would be? Uh, Remember from last week I said they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and they they probably accepted some of the Psalms for various types of worship. I think you could probably call them the, the more liberal theologians of their day. I'm not sure exactly what they would say is how they arrived at their position. It may be something to the effect of we didn't really pick up this concept of a resurrection until after the Persians uh, invaded and we were under their rule for a season and so that kind of came out of Persian theology. It's not part of Old Testament theology. I would guess it has something to do with that. There is a parallel passage in Matthew to this and Jesus is pretty strongly opposed to them telling them they're not reading the scriptures correctly at all in that section in Matthew. And what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to use the first five books of the Old Testament, what they use, even though in sections of Scripture like Daniel, remember, they reject what the prophets say. Uh, You know, I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament prophets. Sometimes they're hard, right? They say hard things. And I don't like necessarily accepting it, but it's there and it needs to be. Uh, Needs to be, it's just hard pills to swallow sometimes from the prophets. So they reject them. So what Jesus is going to do here in answering this question, right? And, it, and they think this is a cute question, right? The Sadducees think it's cute, right? Ladies, if you ever want to offend a man on anything, if he brings you something he's really proud of, it, just say, that's cute. If you say that's cute, right, it's very offensive to a man. Men don't want to hear it's cute, right? That's just sort of a thing. I had a buddy, he bought a boat one time. I said, that's a cute little fishing boat. And man, I got lamb blasted back. I thought it was hilarious, but whatever, right? So they think they're being cute. And you can hear it in their tone as they're coming up with this story. In the Old Testament, it was common custom. If a, if a man died, his wife was to be married by the next brother in line, by age. Okay? Uh, one thing this did at a minimum was it kept families close, right? So whoever your older brother brought home to meet mom and dad, uh, you better be somewhat attracted to or have uh, like her a little bit in case this, this falls to you. And if that brother died and you sired a, a child with them, uh, then uh, that child would be raised as the older brother's child and would receive the inheritance that was there. That was the practice and the custom. And so what they're doing here is they're trying to say, see, the resurrection can't be true because of this law that God gave that Moses had of how the ownership and transfer goes. Now, I talked about this last week. For those of you who were here last week, do you remember my fish tank analogy? Raise your hand if you remember the fish tank analogy from last week. All right. Raise your hand if you don't remember it from last week or you weren't here last week and you didn't hear it. Okay, I'm going to do this quickly to make it real fast. Uh, how many of you have fish at home or fish in a fish tank? Okay. Let's pretend we live in a world where your pet fish can talk to you. All right. In the Old Testament, a donkey could talk. Today, your fish can talk to you. If you got home, have you ever thought what kind of questions would your fish ask you? And I would, I would imagine the fish would ask questions like, where's your bubble maker? What time does the food fall from the ceiling for you to eat? What's in that hole over there? Are there, more, uh, are there multiple walls in your tank? Right? 
who cleans your tank? Who, who makes sure the poop gets cleaned off the floor? It would be all questions that are a part of that fish's limited knowledge of the world because all that fish has known is that tank. Jesus' answer here is similar to that. He said, those born of this age in the passage, right? So those that are born with the limited understanding. What the Sadducees mistake, Jesus is saying, is this. You're trying to apply the fish tank to our way of living. And there's no comparison, right, in the age to come. Now, in this particular story here, Jesus tells us a few things that are noteworthy as he answers their question. And let me just highlight a few of those. One of the first things that sticks out to me in Jesus' answer to the Sadducees in chapter 20 is after he says here, the sons of this age, which by the way, how do you become a son of this age? You pass through your mother's birth canal, right? You are born into this age. How do you enter the next age? Through the resurrection. Jesus is going to make this point, right? Whenever we're raised. He goes on, he says, those who are considered worthy to obtain the age and he directly connects it to, to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. First little thing I'd like to highlight here is what he says, those who are considered worthy. My question to you would be this, who is those that are considered worthy, right? On the way back from my plane trip this week, we had a group of us, Southern Baptists, coming back from the Southern Baptist Convention in L.A., leaving from LAX to Charlotte at 7.30 a.m. And we all were having a good time, fellowshipping, sharing about our churches, things like that. And they have, for those of you that have flown before, you know, there are boarding zones. So we were boarding zone five, me and Brent, the other guy that I was with, the other pastor from North Carolina right over the, in, uh, in Weaverville, Locust Grove in Weaverville. And uh, we boarded before the rest of them. They were all like boarding, boarding zones seven through like ten. So they were like in the back of the plane. But I had what I like to call the first class of the coach area, which is the seats by the emergency exit door. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those of you who have flown all that leg room, they ask you before you board, <coughs> would you have a problem assisting and opening the door? I said, don't worry. If something goes wrong, I'll be the first one out. Don't worry about it. No problem. I got you. All right. So anyhow... Uh, so we get on there, and I'm seated by the window. Brent's next to me, and there's a very nice young lady to the left of him, probably in her early 20s, maybe, I'm guessing, maybe mid-20s, something like that. And um, so, you know, we sit down. They keep putting the loading of the zones on. Well, as they're loading, all these pastors are walking by, and I'm giving them a hard time because this is my spiritual gift. Like, keep walking, peasants, to the back. Keep going. You're not there yet. Keep going, guys. And I do this to a bunch of them as they're going back there. Finally, she looks over at us. She goes, are you guys like with a group or like, do you just know everyone on this plane? And, <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I, I, we're not with them. We're actually kind of famous. <laughs> just kidding. I said, I'm, we're not famous. I said, we're all coming back from the Southern Baptist Convention. We're pastors and, and uh, church leaders. And uh, we're, we were all just kind of, you know, getting to know each other in the area there before we came back. Some of us knew before we got on the plane or before we met up in the loading area there. She said, oh, okay. I said, do you know any Southern Baptist pastors? She said, no, I've never met any. I said, well, you're sitting next to two today for your flight. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and then I went on to tell her, I said, what are your thoughts on the Lord? 
I mean, she already knows why we're there. She knows we're church leaders and she knows we're preachers. Does it not logically follow then that I would ask her her thoughts on the Lord? Here's what she said. She said, I was actually raised Jewish. I said, wonderful. She said, we have the original scriptures. I said, yes, you do. (laughs) You absolutely do. She said, I was raised learning Hebrew. And I said, that's a much better way to do it than wait till you're 20-something and beat your head against a wall, right? A much better way to do it as they're growing up. Learn Hebrew as they grow. And uh, she said, uh, I said, well, what are your thoughts on Jesus Christ? She said, he was a rogue Jew. I said, okay. And then uh, she went on to tell me about she was in the army and she was studying medicine and was going to probably specialize soon, but wasn't sure exactly what she was going to specialize in. And, uh, and I said, uh, are you waiting for the Messiah? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in the Messiah you're waiting for? She said, well, not all of us are waiting for the Messiah, but, you know, uh, I don't know. And then there was like a pause. And she said, you know, who do you think the Messiah is? I said, Jesus Christ, no question. I said, the reason I believe Jesus is the Messiah is because of your original scriptures. Prophecies that were hundreds and a thousand years plus old of the coming of him. Statistically, his ability to just match ten of them are almost impossible. So I am, over half the reason I follow Christ is because he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. She didn't come to Christ or anything like that. But isn't it interesting that she asked me who the Messiah was? Right? What does that mean? I think the Holy Spirit's working in her life, drawing her to himself and drawing that question up in that conversation. You know, our general posture when we share the gospel, we don't have to bring a hammer to every conversation, do we? We don't have to beat them to death with the Bible every time we get. Sometimes just a well-placed question, praying as you're talking to them, and you pray for her. God knows who she is. I gave her my card and said, if you're ever in the mountains, you come visit me. You can have some friends in the mountains. Uh, One thing that she did say I thought was fascinating, we were talking about the law of God. You know, we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. And I, I said, yeah, everybody likes to read the Bible plan so they get to Leviticus, then that's rough. That's where the wheels fall off. And she said, yeah. She said, you know, as we view the law... We just think it's impossible to keep the law. I said, well, I agree with you 100% on that. It is impossible to keep the law. You need somebody else to do it for you, right? Somebody else to do it for you. So in this passage, back to the scripture here, you know, their, their confusion in theology has left them to try to apply the standards of this world into the next age that is to come. Jesus here then makes a beeline, not for Daniel, even though in Daniel chapter 12 is a strong narrative on the physical resurrection, but rather he talks about Moses. He says here, Moses showed in the passage about the bush. Now, I don't want to knock anybody around here if this is going to be hard for you, but uh, this, the, I want to tell you something about the history of the Bible. The Bible did not always have chapter and page and numbers, right? So we can say turn to Exodus chapter 20 verse 4. They didn't have that when Jesus was there. You would have to reference it by the story, which is why it's constructed this way. Uh, and so Jesus here tells them about that. Now, what is he saying here? He's telling them, even Moses showed, who they accept, right, in his passage at the burning bush, he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What's Jesus saying in that passage? He's not the God of the dead. 
You know, he could have said, I, God, I am the God in the burning bush. God could have said, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. But if you look in the Hebrew and you look in the English, it's very plain. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, meaning they are still alive in some capacity somewhere, right? That they have been, they have survived death somehow, right? We know the answer to that. It's their faith in the one true living God, but he is making this point with them. He's not like the Sadducees think. He just kind of goes to sleep and that's the it. That's the end. Uh, then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. So they're they're seeing here, not only is Jesus able to take the Bible and answer their questions, but they're also seeing here Jesus affirm the importance of the doctrine, not from Daniel and the prophets, but even from Moses himself. That we're seeing that Jesus is making direct reference to resurrection that he believes will happen. And so I will do what I have oftentimes done, and that is reject the scholarly left-leaning liberal theology, and I'll go with what Jesus says instead, okay? And I think that's what I would encourage you to do. But that's not where this ends. This is the last point here. Jesus ends with a question for the Sadducees, right? So they've asked him a question. It's only fair he gets to ask them one. What does he say? But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So here's the trickiness of this passage. If you'll remember, we were looking at the passage, the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is inching closer to Jerusalem. Here he's inching closer to the cross. But as he was coming to Jericho, there was a man that cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I said in that sermon, he was right to acknowledge that. Jesus had a genealogical uh, you know, claim to that. By the way, uh, in the, back to that conversation with the young lady on the plane, that nice young lady on the plane, she, I asked her, I said, what are your thoughts on heaven and hell? She's like, well, you know, I think I'm in good shape because I was born you know, in the covenant, in the seat of Abraham. I said, well, that's good. I said, what about the rest of us pagans and Greeks, huh? You know, <laughs> how about us? What happens to us? She said, I think you've just got to find peace in this life and find some community and that's all you'll have. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? There's <laughs> not, not a lot of room there, is there, for us? So, uh, uh, you know, when we look at this passage here, there's a little hope, okay? There's hope here because there's grace for us, right? Those who are worthy, those who find the grace of God for the next stage, you know, the way, just like you entered through the, the, the womb, and the birth canal, this age, resurrection is the next age. But then there's a little clip here we see. Jesus is telling them, just like the blind man called out and said, you know, you're, you're not just, he said, I'm not just the son of David. I'm what they called the anointed one. I'm the Messiah, right? The one that has been prophesied for. Not only, not only am I that, I'm the Lord. That's what's happening here. He's asking them, he's, like, he's quoting here a direct psalm that they would have used in their worship. One that David himself wrote. What man would call his child Lord? What an interesting thing on Father's Day, right? What, would, any, would any man call his children God and Lord? Maybe some households do, but if you do, you need to come see me afterwards because you're going to have a lot of problems in the future if that's your case, right? <laughs> Lots of problems. No man does this unless David is talking about the fulfillment 
of the prophecy of God coming through his line. A king that will never end. See, Jesus here is saying in this passage, not only am I going to be resurrected, not only am I the son of David, I am the Lord. I am the king of kings. I am the I am. I am the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. I stand before you. Right? That's what he's saying here in this passage. There's no other way that that could be fulfilled. You know, he's kind of poking the Pharisees here in particular too as they're listening to this because they want to make, they know all the Old Testament works together, but they can't quite figure it out and the pieces are hard to match up here. And Jesus here asking this question, just like the question on the plane, to get them to think and to move closer to an understanding of who he is in his fullness, not in a limited capacity. So today, friends, we think about this passage. We have seen Jesus point to who he is in his lordship. He doesn't just want to be a guy that you think well of. He's Lord. Is he your Lord today? Or perhaps you've been somebody that's been guilty of saying, well, theology doesn't matter. That's something for bearded guys who smoke pipes to sit back and discuss. It doesn't affect my life. It's not what Jesus said in the passage today. Jesus makes it clear theology matters, and it matters for how we live every day and every moment. Who you think Jesus is matters, and what you think about Jesus matters, and that's all theology, friends. Or maybe you're here today, and you just want to thank him that he has made a way for us in the age to come. That through his resurrection, he was the first. And we will follow that pathway, right? The first to come back with that victory over death like that, right? He was the first to conquer sin. The first to come out of that grave, right? Just like we sing here on Sunday morning, time and time again. uh, Ran out of that grave. The question is, who is he to you this morning? Is Christ what David proclaimed in Psalms to you? Lord? Or is he just a ticket to avoid a bad situation? Let's play. Pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you today and we thank you for this truth and the fact that we could worship together. God, I needed this. My soul and my heart needed this time of worship and this truth in your word. So thankful for our praise team today as they come forward, God, their hearts and their efforts that so much go unnoticed behind the scenes. Thank you for pointing us to you today and drawing us to yourself, Lord. May we have a better understanding of the age to come and all things that are being made new. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It is a joy and delight to worship you, God. It is not drudgery. It is a joy and delight. Let it forever be our proclamation. May it forever be our joy that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he is Lord. You are Lord. May all here in Carter County know this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be in the back today to receive you. If you haven't done that, if you haven't made up your mind to follow Jesus as Lord, sit down and talk to me. Let's get that taken care of. Or if you're here today, you want to become part of the church body through baptism or move your membership over, then we'd love to have you. Or if you just want to pray, I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing. Please stand.